Thanks, PCC. Uh, really great to see you all this morning. How are we all doing? Are we good? Were you up with that extra hour praying? I hope so. Why not? Come on. Anyway, it's really, really great to see you this morning. Uh, and and I, I'm aware we've got one or two new people in the house. Why don't we just give those new, new people a bit of a, a welcome, a BCC welcome. Great to see you with us this morning. Uh, yes, it's, uh, a, a new series is starting today called E222. Um, and uh, I'm going to kind of unpack what that means a little bit and talk you through the journey with that. Uh, but before I do that, I want to show you a little picture uh, uh, to get the, my message going. It's like an illustration, and I, I want to talk you through this. Um, for those of you who live uh, in the United Kingdom, uh, this particular building will be a very, very familiar sight to you. Uh, it's Buckingham Palace. Uh, and hopefully we'll be able to, to have a look at that on the screen. But if not, I'll talk you through it. Um, so Buckingham Palace is on a patch of land in the middle of London that was owned privately as far back as uh, like 1555, I think, something like that. Um, uh, so it was owned by somebody pretty wealthy back in the day. And then in 1703, an, uh, an earl or a duke, I think, the Duke of Buckingham, I think it was, decided to buy the land and he purchased the estate. And uh, what you see uh, at the back of the, the courtyard there is kind of, you can see the original house as it was with the sort of the, the arch at the front and the two things at the side. That's at the back of, the, of, the, of, of Buckingham Palace. And you can see that there on the picture. That was the original house. Uh, and then something like 1763, 65, something like that, um, uh, King George III decided to buy uh, Buckingham House, as it was known, and he decided to give it to Queen Charlotte. Uh, his wife as a private residence and it became known as the Queen's house or the Queen's home um, and then uh, in Victorian times when Queen Victoria ascended to the throne in 1837 she decided that she would take up residence there uh, and become a queen who used the palace as a place to live. Uh, and what happened in the subsequent years of her reign up until 1901, I think it was, uh, a long reign, although not as long as Queen Elizabeth's reign, um, she had the two wings of the palace added down either side and also the frontage that you see uh, to make a courtyard area. So you can kind of see it's in a square uh, set up. And then in the early part of the 20th century, between about 1900 and 1913, just before the First World War, um, they kind of finished off the frontage of the building. And what we have now is that famous balcony where the royals and the, un the entourage of the, of the royal family will come out and they'll do all that kind of waving they do to the big crowds that gather for those state occasions and for those royal occasions. Uh, and so we have uh, Buckingham Palace there as a picture. Now, the reason I wanted to uh, give you that picture to start with or that, that concept in your mind is that it's not just a building, it's not just a palace, it's a place where someone royal lives. It's a, it's a residence. Somebody very important takes up residence in Buckingham Palace, and they are royalty. And kings and queens, since the time of Queen Victoria, have lived there as their home pretty much most of the time. Now, they have other places they go to, I understand that, but when the queen is home, she, she would call home Buckingham Palace, and she would see that as her home, and that's a place of residence. Now, you know, we could have a, a fantastic stately home with no royalty in it, and it would still be a great thing to go and visit. Um, you know, like Buckingham Palace has got 755 rooms in it. This is almost as many as BCC. You know, that's a lot of space, isn't it? 
Um, and also, it has one of the, well, it has the largest private garden in London. Not sure if you knew that, but there you go. It also has an art gallery that the Queen has set up, and you can, you can visit Buckingham Palace, and you can see some of the state rooms that are there, uh, which they use to entertain visiting dignitaries, and uh, you know, foreign presidents will come, and guests of honor will turn up, and they'll have banquets, and they'll have celebrations. It's a very important building. That's the building where if you are fortunate enough, and you've worked hard enough in your life, and you've made a big enough impact in your life, and the Queen sees that, she might invite you to have a knighthood there. And you would go along and she would touch you on the shoulders with a sword and she would give you an MBE or, an, or a knighthood or an OBE or whatever it might be. It's a very important place in the nation. But the reason that it's so important is because it has a royal resident. It has a royal person who lives there. And I want to open with this illustration this morning because it is an illustration of church. Church has a royal person who lives among it. Now, it's, it, it's, it's not a king or a queen in the human sense. It's a king, and it's the king not of a country, but the king of heaven. And the king of heaven comes and occupies church, not through the bricks and the mortar and the building and the roof and all that stuff. He comes and occupies it with the people who are part of that church. Are you with me so far? So the king of heaven is a royal person, and he comes and lives with us and in us in a place that we call church in a very similar way to way, the way in which the queen of England, Queen Elizabeth, would live in a palace. I want you to hold that illustration in your mind uh, because it, it speaks into where we're going this morning with our new series. Our new series is called E222, and it revolves around this very same idea that there is a very special place called church where a king comes to live in just the same way that Queen Elizabeth lives in a palace. Now, the big difference is that it's the king himself who comes to live among the people of the gathered church, and the gathered church are like the living stones. Peter talks about this in one of his letters, that we are living stones, and that that's what comprises the spiritual house that God comes and lives in. It would be very impressive, it would be a deep honor, it would be an incredibly special thing uh, and a privilege to come to Buckingham Palace uh, and to receive an honor there. It really would, it would be enormously special. But all of that would pale into insignificance by comparison with receiving a special honor from the King of Heaven. If you had an audience with the King of Hev Heaven, that would be a very, very special thing. And I think, it, um, I think it's fair to say that uh, the Queen of England herself would agree with that point of view. Uh, I don't know about what you can perceive from the Queen's faith, but she seems to me to be a fully paid-up follower of Jesus. And she seems to love Jesus, and if you watch her Christmas messages at 3 p.m. on a Christmas afternoon, uh, she will tell you stuff that seems to be very, very similar to what we believe. That's just my opinion, but I think she would totally agree with the idea that the King of Heaven is a person with whom it would be an incredible privilege to have an audience with. So I want to talk you through a little bit uh, of the story of the journey of E222 as you hold that picture of Buckingham Palace in your mind. Occasionally, a verse of Scripture 
jumps out to you. I don't know if this ever happens to you when you're reading your Bible in your quiet time or whenever you read your Bible and you have those routine days, don't you, where you're kind of going through the material and you're interacting with what God says, but every once in a while, a verse will jump out at you and and kind of grab you. It speaks to you in a very powerful and significant way. And E222 and this series was birthed in such an occasion. And I feel that God has given me this series to share with us as church and for us to go on a bit of a journey over the next five weeks unpacking one single verse. Just one verse. Now you might think, whoa, a five-week series on one verse. But when we get into the verse, you'll understand what it means and, and where I'm trying to go with this. Okay, so E222. So the E... Uh, well, I've had quite a few questions about E222, if I'm honest, and I think, you know, Paula introduced that pretty well. Some of you have been coming to me and saying, well, what does it mean? And I'd like to know more. Uh, some of you, uh, very enterprisingly, have gone on Google and searched E222, and somebody pointed out that it's a derivative of salt, which I didn't know, and that wasn't kind of my heart behind doing that, but that very enterprising of you to do that. Um, and of course, uh, so excuse me, of course, some of the books of the Bible start with the letter E. Now, give me some books of the Bible that start the letter E. Ezekiel. Somebody said Ezekiel. And Ezra. Ecclesiastes. Ephesians. Esther. Any others? Let's have a look. I think you got most of them. Uh, let me see. Um, here we go. Exodus. Ezra. Esther. Ecclesiastes, Ezekiel, and Ephesians. Now, E222 refers to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. Uh, and when I launched this, uh, this series, Chloe just got it straight away. Like, there was no messing there. She's like, that's Ephesians 2.22. I know where you're going with this already. You know, and, and that's kind of helpful and kind of annoying at the same time. I wanted there to be a little bit of mystery in the run-up to this but she's on it already. So you're now with Chloe, and you're up to speed that E222 is a series about one verse, and it's Ephesians 2, verse 22. And I want to take you through what that verse says. It says, In him you also are being built together into a place for God to live by the Spirit. In him you also are being built together into a place for God to live by the Spirit. It's a very, very significant verse. And it's jumped out at me. It jumped out at me in the summer when I first read it, and it will not put me down. It keeps on coming back to me. And I kind of said to God, so shall we speak about this? Shall we unpack it? And God said, absolutely. Let's go for it. This is a word in season for our church for this season. And I want to go on a journey over these next five weeks to unpack what E222 might mean. So I want you to say it with me. In him, you also are being built together into a place for God to live by the Spirit. Excellent. Now you can see from the way that we've spoken that out, that happens to break up into five parts, and each of those five parts are going to form the basis of this new series over the next few Sundays. And so part one today is called In Him, and we're going to get into that in just a second. Part two is called You Also. Part three are being built together. Part four, a place for God to live. And part five, by the Spirit. 
And I want my heart for you over this season, as we run up to Christmas and we, we're going to finish this series and get into our Christmas season, my heart would be that you would remember E222, you would make a connection to Ephesians 2.22, and then you'd say to yourself, what was important that Pastor Nick tried to tell me about church? And even if you don't remember, you'll go and look it up and you'll go, ah, yeah, we did five sessions on that, and this was an important message. So I hope that you can receive that this morning into your spirit. Now, I'm going to get straight on with this and get straight into uh, this huge thing that we have right in front of us at the beginning of this uh, verse, which is in him. In him opens this important verse up, and it's only two words. In fact, in English, it's only five letters long. And yet, it is of huge significance and impact. Okay, I want to share a little story with you uh, that, uh, in fact, Chloe noticed on the news uh, a few nights back. Uh, So up in uh, the north of England, there's a county called Northumberland, and uh, there's a lady there in her 70s. And she's going through some of the stuff in her house, and she's having a bit of a clear out, a bit of a tidy up, and she's somebody that's gone along to car boot sales quite a bit in her life, and she's somebody who's got a bit of a passion for costume jewelry. Now, costume jewelry is the stuff that looks good, but it's not got any real value. You know, maybe a tenner for something that looks pretty plush at at, at first glance, but it's not the real deal. It's not real jewelry. So she's going through her cupboards, she's checking stuff out, and she finds what looks like a diamond, which is about the size of a pound coin, and she's about to throw it out. And her neighbor down the road says, oh, you know, it's always a good idea to go and check out the value of stuff that you're about to throw out, because, you know, if that's, if that's real, that could be worth a, worth a little bit, couldn't it? So she agrees to do this, and she takes this pound-sized diamond, like, like a pound coin in, in circumference, and, and so on. She takes it down to the local auctioneer's house, And they, at first, uh, think it's something called... I'm going to have to read this out, because I can't remember what this is called. Uh, It's called, here we go, cubic zirconia. I've never heard of that before, but apparently cubic zirconia is like a glass-like substance that that can be cut to look like a diamond. So it's it's often used in costume jewellery. So the auctioneer puts it on his desk and thinks it's just costume jewellery, and yet it's yet another person looking for, you know, like some spectacular windfall and thinks, oh, well, I'll get round to that in a few days. And three or four days later, um, goes, to the, goes to the desk, picks up the jewel, looks at it through his magnifying glass, or whatever jewellers do to check the, 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 the truth of something. You know, they have all this equipment, don't they? And he has a bit of a shock because he realises that there's a very strong possibility that this diamond is real. And it's enormous. And so there's this kind of security journey of like getting this uh, diamond across to Antwerp. And in Antwerp, they've got lots of jewelry experts, uh, you, you know, and there's like a whole lot of uh, people looking at this thing. Uh, and um, they, 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 they come back with an analysis to say that it is a genuine diamond of 38, oh, sorry, 34 carat value. Now, I, I don't know too much about carat ratings, but apparently a 34 uh, carat diamond is literally unheard of in terms of the size and the value. We're talking two million pounds at auction. And this lady was going to throw it away. That's just stunning. And I'm so glad that she, she decided not to throw it away. Now, the auctioneer says it's the, the most valuable item that has ever passed through his hands. And he's, I mean, like, I guess in a job like that, you'd be pretty excited by something like that, wouldn't you? You'd be like, whoa, that's really cool. 
Now, the lady in her 70s wants to remain anonymous, which I can kind of understand, because there's, you know, uh, you know, th- th- there's going to be a lot of attention about it, isn't there? Although, to be honest, it'd be great if, if it was your nan, wouldn't it? I'm just putting it out there. You know, you've been persuading your nan to try and have a Chinese all these years. Well, there's no excuse now, is there? You could go and have that. You could do that. That would be really, really good. I did some investigating into diamonds because this story is very interesting, and I wanted to kind of, kind of bring a picture to us around the area of diamonds. And, and I found out there's quite a lot to diamonds. Apparently, when you cut a diamond, the optimal number of facets on the surface of a diamond is 58. Didn't know that. Apparently, you can go up to 144, but that's not considered optimal. 58 is the kind of the best number. And the reason for that is the way that light refracts and the different the facets on a diamond, all the flat little planes it has over its surface, which are cut into the gem, uh, and you get this refraction and reflection, and, and the brilliance and the sparkle of the gem comes out uh, with all those cuts. And, and, and diamond cutters will know exactly how to present a diamond in the best possible way uh, to make it look really, really brilliant. One of the other things I found out was that there's two types of diamonds in the world. Apparently, they're broken into uh, type one and type two. You know, <laughs> diamond labelers are not very imaginative, but um, you have type one diamonds, which apparently have nitrogen in them, traces of nitrogen, and type two diamonds don't have nitrogen in them. Uh, now, type one diamonds, about 95% of the diamonds uh, in the world are type one diamonds. There's also a subcategory of diamond called a type 1A. Now, this is extremely rare. Uh, so it's got nitrogen in it, but it's, it's like 0.01% of the total diamonds uh, that can be mined anywhere on Earth is a type 1A. I didn't know that. And of course, if it's a type 1A, it makes it unbelievably rare and valuable. Um, and uh, you know, wives and husbands, uh, if you're sitting together, wives, you can nudge your husband right now and say, hey, Honey, did you get me a Type 1A diamond? You can do that. You could, yeah, yeah. Look, I can see some fingers being raised and some wagging going on. Uh, but to be honest, unless your husband is Jeff Bezos, that guy who heads up Amazon, that's going to be pretty unlikely because that diamond is going to cost a lot of money. Now, husbands, you can nudge your wives back and remind them that you are all the diamond in Christ that they ever need. <laughs> Let's do that. Yeah, amen. Thank you. The largest diamond on Earth ever, ever found was called the Cullinan Diamond. I think it was mined in South Africa, and when it was found, it was enormous, and they broke it up into lots of sub-diamonds, and they cut it into different special cuts, and two of the biggest diamonds out of the Cullinan Diamond went on to form part of the crown jewels of the, of the, of the English uh, uh, monarchy. And so when Queen Elizabeth got, uh, you know, had her, her sort of service of, um, I don't know what you call it, it's not an installation, uh, coronation, there we go, when she had a coronation service in 1953, she had a scepter and a crown, and the crown had one of the jewels in it, and the scepter had another one. And so they are very valuable, very big diamonds. The reason I'd like to tell you about diamonds, or so much about diamonds, is that all the refractions and the facets and the reflections and sparkles in a diamond bring us an excellent picture of all of the times that we have this phrase, in him or in Christ, from the New Testament. 
I want you to understand that the reason I've explained diamonds at such length is because those 58 facets or those 144 facets, whichever way you want to look at it, all of that complexity and that beauty and that purity and that, that sparkling quality and that value that a diamond has is a great picture of all of the times in the New Testament where we see the phrase, in Christ, or we see the phrase, in Him, or we see the phrase, in Jesus. In Christ, or in Him, are the two words that open our new series this morning, E222. Ephesians 2:22 says, in Him, that's Jesus, you also are being built together into a place for God to live by the Spirit, in Him, in Jesus, in Christ. And no matter what angle or position or vantage point you turn this jewel that is Jesus, you are going to see beautiful things in Him, beautiful, precious, sparkling, pure, valuable things in the spiritual, just as you might see them in a physical diamond. That's what's going on here. Now, that phrase in Christ, uh, you may not believe this, it's, it seems incredible to believe it, but it occurs 90 times in the New Testament. 9-0. It's used so many times. And if you add the in him phrases uh, that refer to Jesus, like we have with our Ephesians 2.22 verse, uh, verse this morning, it goes up to 130, 140, something like that. The New Testament is absolutely laden with this phrase, in Christ or in Him. Um, and it, every time it comes up, it's laden with this rich and valuable meaningfulness. To be honest, it's gorgeous theology it brings to our understanding of Jesus. It really is. It's got brilliance to it. And every time you see that phrase, I want to encourage you to dig into what it might be saying there. We have to conclude that as Paul is writing to the Christians in this place called Ephesus at that time, he is very keen for them to realize that there is something enormously valuable and precious to be understood in the truth of who Jesus is. And that truth is something like, it goes like this, within the scope of who Jesus is, there is a person who provides absolutely everything that we might need for life. That's the nature of who Jesus is. And every time uh, this phrase comes up in the Bible, I want you to imagine you're seeing another facet to the person of Jesus, another refraction, another bit of brilliance of who he is uh, that is given to us when we follow him. Uh, now, you know, with 140 or so instances of this phrase, I think we would all be, even with the clocks and the extra hour, we would be struggling to do a 140-point sermon. I don't, I don't want to do that to you today. Um, but I want to give you a flavor from the book of Ephesians of what some of those in Christ statements might mean or what they might be saying, because it occurs a lot in Ephesians. Of all of the number that you find in the New Testament, Ephesians has the biggest number. Uh, it's around about 20 in all, depending on which translation you're following. But let me just take you through some of these. Uh, Ephesians 1.4, it says, and these are in your version app notes if you want to follow these through and, and to make your own comments. It says, he chose us, God chose us in him before the creation of the world. That means that you were chosen before, by God before historical time started ticking. Just think about that for a moment. That's a bit of a stunning concept. You, as a person, sitting where you are right now, 
on October the 31st, 2021, in Birmingham, God had the concept for your life before he set the clock of time ticking. He knew about your life before the clock of time started ticking. That is a stunning idea. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood. In other words, Jesus has paid for us to be with the Father through his own blood by dying on the cross. That's been achieved for us in Jesus. Jesus has done that. Ephesians 1.13 has two of these statements. You are also included in Christ. That means you belong. There's no outside in the heart of God towards people. What I mean by that, you know how sometimes we have the phrase the inside and the outside? Oh, if you're on the inside, that's great. But if you're on the outside, hard luck. No, 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 no. That's not what God wants us to understand at all. God wants us all on the inside. That's his heart towards people. He wants us on the inside. Um, I was having a conversation with a guy called Richard Gamble, who is the pioneer of something called the Eternal Wall of Answered Prayer. And the aim behind this is to put up a monument to answered prayer, which contains a million answered prayers in it. And you go, the idea is that you go along to the visitor center, you download the app when you're there, and you can point the app at any brick in this great big structure they're putting, and it will give you a testimony back about answered prayer. It's an incredible vision. It's going to be about 50 meters high, and it will be visible from the M42 and the M6 and HS2 and from Birmingham Airport. And apparently 800,000 people a week are going to see this structure. It's, it's very significant. And it's coming. And it's coming to near Birmingham. I think that's great. Now, the, the winning design for this eternal wall of answered prayer is something called a Mobius strip. A Mobius strip is, if you imagine like a, 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 wrist, a, a wrist strap for your watch, that's like a flat band that goes round like that, isn't it? Now, a Mobius strip is you, you kind of cut the, you cut the band in half just at one point, and you put a twist in it, and then you rejoin it. And so what that does is you end up with one single continuous surface, infinite surface, in fact. Uh, there's no inside or outside. And the designer for the Eternal Wall of Answered Prayer had this concept of making the structure into this massive Mobius strip because he wants to say what this verse says. In Ephesians 1.13, you are also included in Christ. You belong. You are on the inside. There is no outside in God. You belong. You belong on the inside, and that's God's heart for us to see that. And for him to you, I want you to receive that in, in, in your spirit today. And that's just one of these 120 in him, in Christ statements in the New Testament. Ephesians 1.13 again, and this is where Jason, our elder, is right on the money with his prophetic word this morning. You Listen to this. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. What did Jason say earlier? God has placed his mark on you. So that, you can t so that he can tell who belongs to him at the end of time. When God surveys all of humanity, he looks for the people who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit because, because they've received Jesus, they have the Holy Spirit. At the end of time, he goes, ah, you're in because you've received me. Now, God's heart is that everybody's in. But we have to interact with that. We have to make a choice. We have to step up to the plate. We have to understand who Jesus is. We, Jesus is. we have to receive Jesus and believe who he, is, who he is for that to happen. It's a, it's a partnership. It's not just going to happen automatically. But we are sealed by the Holy Spirit in Christ. There's that phrase again, in him, in order that God will be able to pick us out at the end of time and take us with him into heaven. 
Ephesians 2.6, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That means we have all the authority and all the access that Jesus does in heaven. Did you know that Jesus sits in the throne room of heaven whispering all the prayers to God about your life? He says, uh, so-and-so has said this prayer. Lord, listen to that. Heavenly Father, would you hear my petition on Simon's behalf about the thing that he's praying about or on Chloe's behalf or on Kevin's behalf or on Dami's behalf or on Shola's behalf or on Ivan's behalf would you hear their prayer please Father God from Jesus in the throne room but we have that same access ourselves we are seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus Ephesians 2.10 for we are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good things, which God prepared for us in advance to do. If we are a follower of Jesus, the journey of our lives, the things that we get to do, the things that God calls us to do, are inextricably wound up and bound up and connected with Jesus. And if we follow Jesus daily, he will drag out fantastic purpose from us. He will drag out fantastic fruitful from, fruitfulness from us. And it will be a gorgeous life that we lead before him. Who wants to lead a gorgeous life? Who wants to hear at the end of time, well done, good and faithful servant? I sure as anything do. In him, you also are being built together into a place for God to live by the Spirit. That's our verse for the next five weeks and starting today in him. This flawless diamond that is Jesus is just going to carry on and on and on, sparkling and turning and tantalizing you in an incredible way, no matter which way you try and turn him round and round. Now, I'm going to ask two volunteers if they would come out of the crowd. I've asked one of our elders, Roy. Roy, if you could come down to the front with your picture. And Akin, really good of you to come down. Give these guys a bit of a round of applause. They're going to come and do a little bit of a demonstration for me. I'm not asking them to speak, so they hopefully shouldn't be too panicked. Come on up, Akin. Come and stand on this side, my friend. That'd be great. Roy, if you come and stand over on this side. And I just want you to show the picture that I've given you. Just kind of hold it here in front of you. And hopefully our media people will be able to, uh, to show these up on our live stream. But if not, you should be able to see them through the cameras. Um, that's fantastic. Thank you. I think it's really hard with the wealth and the number of in Christ statements to go through them all. That would be too difficult. So I'm going to go for one. We're just going to look at one and we're going to understand the impact of one because I want you to understand at least one thing about what it means to be in Christ today. You with me? Let's go for this. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Um, the, the verse is highlighted there on your YouVersion app if you need it. Um, and for those of you, you guys at home, please jump onto that. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. That says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that, and here we get it, in him we might become the righteousness of God. Are you hearing that? Yeah? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So let's break this down. So I've got Roy up here, and Roy is representing Jesus. And Jesus has the, the, the purity, the sparkling righteousness on the inside. It's completely unflawed. It's perfect. 
We're talking million carat diamond quality here. He really is perfection. And we have Akin over here. Bless you, my friend, for taking part in this. But Akin's, Akin's spiritual makeup's got a few problems. Now, but before we judge it, we're all like this. Let's be really honest. This is what's happened to us. We have a whole lot of junk going on in the inside of our spirit. If you just hold it facing that way, Akin, that's great. That's kind of a picture that I would try and develop to show you spiritual failure, if you like, or us falling short of the glory of God. Okay, so what happens is that God makes him, as in Jesus, who had no sin at all, to become sin, to actually be sin for us. And so a swap goes on. And so what happens is, as Jesus goes to the cross, this beautiful righteousness that belongs to Jesus gets given to us, given to Akin, given to us, all of us, by extension, and this gets pinned into Jesus' body on the cross. And a divine swap goes on. That's what's going on. So God made him who had no sin to be sin. Can you see the sin on Jesus now? And he does that for us because we have no capacity to do that for ourselves so that in him we might become the righteousness of Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. Do you see that? I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up. Just stay standing there a minute, guys. I want you to see this. I want you to see this swap. Let's just do this one more time. I want you to really see this. So this is us here. This is our grotty stuff. Uh, This is all of the things that we struggle with. This is our sins, our regrets, our failures, our mistakes, our things that we don't want people to know about, our things that people have found out that we wish they didn't. And when we come to Jesus, a swap takes place. And what happens is our sins get nailed to Jesus on the cross, and then Jesus gives us his righteousness, and his righteousness stays on the inside of us. And then, and then this is the next thing. God punishes this in Jesus, and it gets dealt with. Amen. That goes away. This, this does not come back for you. You walk around with this now, ongoing. That's your position in Jesus. Are you with me, BCC? Are you receiving this into your spirit? It's really important that you see this. A swap has gone on. Now, theologians call this uh, substitutionary atonement. We get made right with, with God because Jesus deals with this. And when God looks down from heaven, he sees this. We cannot manufacture this on our own. It needs to be Jesus that does that for us. Gentlemen, thank you very much. You may take your seats. Give them a round of applause. Thank you. I want to suggest three ways you can respond to that spiritual truth that you've just seen this morning. The first thing I want to ask you to do is I want you to do a check on yourself. And I want you to ask this hard question. Am I in him? Am I truly in him this morning? in Jesus? Am I in Christ? And and the way that you can know that you are in Jesus or in Christ is that you have made a decision to follow him. You've made a decision to follow him with your life. And what you say is, Jesus, I think you are the son of God. I really believe that in my heart. I know you're the son of God. And I know that you went to a cross and all the evidence says that you were raised again on the third day. And that somehow, in an amazing and mysterious way, 
through, 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 through what we just saw, in fact, my sins have been dealt with. And because my sins have now been dealt with, I can move forward in freedom in my life. And I want that. I want that for the rest of my days. That's what a Christian is. And if you're that kind of person today, then that's a great place to be. But I want you to just make sure. And in order to just make sure, we're going we're gonna to pray a prayer together. That might be a prayer that you've not prayed in a very long time, or you might, you might have never prayed this. But the rest of us in the room realize that this is so precious that they're happy to pray alongside you, with you. And we're just going to do that right now. Just bow your heads in, in prayer for a moment, if you wouldn't mind. Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry for the stuff that I've done wrong. I know that there have been black things in my history and in my past and wrong things that I've done, evil things that I've done, wicked stuff that I've done, things I really regret. Things that look like that picture that Akin was holding. And I'm sorry for that, Jesus. But Jesus... I want to follow you for the rest of my days because I can see the purity that you will bring to me. I can see the forgiveness that you want to offer me. And so I say that I'm sorry for my sins and I receive you now into my spirit, Jesus. And I commit to following you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer, I'm not going to ask you to do anything right now, but please come and see uh, me or Chloe or one of our team, uh, one of our hosts in the green t-shirts. We'd love to pray with you a bit more and talk to you about that. But that's one of the most, it is the most important prayer you can ever pray, to follow after Jesus. And when you do that, you are in him. You are part of who Jesus is now. You are what Christians would call saved. You have made a decision, and you have passed from death into life. That's the first response. I think the second response might be that you just feel grateful for what has just happened there. That you've looked at that exchange, and you've gone, oh my goodness, that is awesome. That all the grot and the garbage and the baggage and the mess and the mistakes and the and, and the downright wrong ethical things that I have done through the whole course of my life, I can take that to Jesus at the cross, and he gives me his righteousness, his purity, his sparkling brilliance as a personal thing on the inside. BCC, I don't know about you, but that's an incredible exchange. It's totally unfair. It's outrageous. But I love it, and I'm so glad that I've chosen it. It's free, but it costs everything. Would you stand with me, BCC? We're going to praise Jesus and, and respond to him in just a moment. What's the line from that song, Kevin, that we were singing? The name that surpasses all other names? What is it? Let all, the other names let all the other names fade away. Absolutely. Let all the other names fade away. Because it's Jesus who carries that power to do what you just saw in that divine swap just now. So that's response number two. You might want to praise. And response number three is, and here's something I think lots of people need to receive today. You have that diamond of Jesus on the inside of you, BCC. You have it. You have it. It's there. It's not going to get taken away. And I want you to, to let that feed your self-worth today. I want you to know that you have worth and value and preciousness and righteousness and purity and goodness from Jesus on the inside of you today. 
receive this, receive this BCC in your heart from Jesus. Receive it. My sense is that there are some people in the room maybe, and this was the same thing from the first service, who can't quite believe that diamond is inside them from the person of Jesus. You're like that lady in Northumberland who kind of didn't really clock what she had. And when she took it to the valuers, she realized, oh my goodness, this was worth so much. You have something worth so much on the inside of you, and it's not going away. Jesus has put it there, and you are made just before, before God. When God looks at you, he sees that diamond. Come on, BCC, let's give uh, praise to Jesus right now. Let's sing to him. Come on, let's sing, and let's give him a round of applause.